Our first scripture lesson is Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, which you can find on page 62 in your New Testament Pew Bible. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Then likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will pay you whatever more you spend. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Loving God, meet us where we are this morning and open our hearts as only you can do. We pray in Christ's good name. Amen. So in this month of August, with its backyard barbecues and impromptu conversations with friends across the street, Clover and I have decided to do a little sermon series on neighborliness. So we begin today in my backyard. It was just last week, and I was alone with my thoughts when I sneezed. And without missing a beat, a disembodied voice wafted over the wooden fence from the yard behind us. Bless you, the voice said. Thank you. I replied, unsure of the etiquette for such a thing. Now that exchange took five seconds, and I returned to my thoughts, but no longer alone with them. Through that simple blessing, I was reminded again that I have neighbors. In the traditional sense, a neighbor is someone we share proximity with And because of proximity, a relationship. 
The relationship can vary widely from the occasional blessing across the fence from someone I hardly know to our neighbors around the corner where our kids have probably spent more time than they have at home. But both are relationships and both imply some degree of responsibility and obligation. Historically, human life depended upon and was shaped by the people around us. And that feels less so nowadays, but we still have an almost instinctive duty, don't we, toward what are sometimes complete strangers. If a neighbor I hardly knew showed up at my door asking for a cup of sugar, I wouldn't hesitate to give it to them. But it's interesting to ask, what if the request for sugar came from the neighbor a few houses further down? What about a few houses down from that? What if someone from the other side of Denver showed up at my door and said, I'd like a cup of sugar from my neighbor? Is there an invisible geographical line beyond which a person is no longer one's neighbor, beyond which we no longer need to feel some obligation? This is the seemingly simple question the lawyer asks in our story. Where is the line, the limit, the edge between neighbor and not neighbor? The writer Frederick Buechner says it this way. When Jesus said to love your neighbor, a lawyer who was present asked him to clarify what he meant by neighbor. He wanted a legal definition he could refer to in case the question of loving one ever happened to come up. He presumably wanted something on the order of a neighbor, herein after referred to as the party of the first part, is to be construed as meaning a, first, a person of Jewish descent whose legal residence is within a radius of no more than three statute miles from one's own legal residence, unless there is another person of Jewish descent, herein after to be referred to as the party of the second part, living closer to the party of the first part than the one is oneself, in which case the party of the second part is to be construed as neighbor to the party of the first part, and one is oneself relieved of all responsibility. Buechner concludes by saying, Instead, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, the point of which seems to be that your neighbor is to be construed as meaning anybody who needs you. The lawyer's response is left unrecorded. <laughs> Buechner rightly notes the shift Jesus makes from neighbor defined by proximity to neighbor defined by necessity. When you come upon someone in trouble, no matter who they are or where they call home, Jesus says, you've come upon a neighbor. But even Jesus could not have had in mind the world that we live in today. A world where fiber optic cables and satellites keep us connected 24 hours a day to the needs of the whole world. We know about every famine and genocide and mass shooting as it happens. We know the caravan is coming 
long before it arrives at the border. As I reported a few weeks ago, 70 million people right now are either internally displaced in their own country, or seeking asylum, or are refugees in other countries. What that means is one in every 108 people on this planet are running for their lives. One in every 108. That is an overwhelming statistic. It is incomprehensible. And if we are to think of everyone in need as our neighbor, what are we going to do? It's one thing if a neighbor shows up on the porch asking for a cup of sugar, but there is not enough sugar in the house for this. One possible response is to do nothing, to curl up into our own lives, which can be hard enough themselves, after all, and try not to think too much about it. It is a tempting option, and there are days when I choose it. Because sometimes denial is the best thing we can muster. And denial is still better than the darker impulses that such overwhelming need can evoke. We are creatures of survival, after all. And the images of hungry masses seemingly at our doorstep can trigger parts of our reptilian brainstem that would rather eliminate the problem than solve it. Behind the question, who is my neighbor, is a more insidious question. Who is not my neighbor? Are there some people I don't have to care about? Are there some people who are expendable? People I can dehumanize or even demonize. People I can go to, can tell to go back where they came from and forget about them. It is a frightening response and it is not surprisingly on the rise these days. But for those of us who want to look honestly into the world's pleading eyes without having it crush our spirits, what can we do? And honestly, I don't have a great answer for you. Certainly not an easy answer for you. The combination of the 24-hour news cycle and such terrible worldwide suffering is bound to strain the faith of even your very large hearts. But here are some thoughts. First, we must guard against those darker impulses and call them out whenever we see them. We must remember that people in need are not a threat, and they are not an infestation. What they are is tired and frightened and hungry. And given a shower and a hot meal and just a little bit of their humanity back, they would reveal themselves to have much to offer because they are also clearly resilient and brave and resourceful. History has shown again and again that people who overcome great odds to get into this country make it stronger, not weaker.
Second, we should remember that Jesus didn't tell a story about solving all the world's problems. He decided to tell a story about two people who walked by someone in trouble and one person who didn't. And even though we can now see all of the world's need all of the time, our job is still to respond to the specific people and situations before us, to do what we can when we can. We cannot hold the weight of the whole world ourselves. Mother Teresa's famous words are as important as ever. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And finally, there's an easily overlooked part of this story that I find instructive. Frederick Buechner suggests that the point of the story is that your neighbor is anyone who needs you. But if that were all Jesus had in mind, then he would have told the story differently. His audience was a Jewish lawyer and a Jewish crowd. The characters they would have identified with were the three Jews, the two that walked by and the one that stayed, not the Samaritan. So if the point is that as a good Jew, you should help people in need no matter who they are, Jesus should have put the Samaritan in the ditch. And we could call this the parable of the good Jew. Because we understand that. As followers of Jesus, we know we're supposed to help the poor and the suffering no matter who they are. The widow and the orphan, the immigrant, the Samaritan. But Jesus puts the Jew in the ditch and makes the Samaritan the hero. It doesn't make sense unless Jesus is inviting us to go beyond the very good impulse to help others in need and be reminded of our own human need. It's wonderful to help others, but unless we can see how that person in the ditch could be us, unless we can touch our own human frailty and take our place as just another thread in the cloth of human interdependence, we may care about our neighbor, we may feel moved to help our neighbor, but we will not love our neighbor. We will continue to hold them at arm's length because their neediness, it frightens us. The independence afforded us by our economic good fortune has a way of isolating us. It can make us lonely and judgmental. And appreciating our own frailty humbles us, makes us more human and more understanding. Before we decide the fate of people knocking on our door asking for a cup of sugar, Jesus says to imagine ourselves in their shoes. He invites us to come out from behind our well-resourced, secured perimeter and consider what it must be like to stand on the porch with your hands out. Because just thinking about it makes us more vulnerable, but it is a vulnerability 
that connects us with the rest of the world. And that's when we discover the paradox that moving toward the pain of others strangely makes it easier to bear our own. So as we look out on this sea of human need, let us resist the darker impulses that would replace our compassion with fear. And let us focus on what we can do and let that be enough. And let us allow ourselves to feel a part of the human fabric by remembering that it could just as easily be us there. And let us not forget that when we, like a good neighbor, bless those who are suffering, they bless us too.